Turn to Micah chapter 3. We're entering a new section in Micah. Um, as we said earlier when we first started this study, <clears throat> by the way, Micah is in the Bible. <laughs> when we first started this study, we said there were three sections in Micah, all starting with the word here. Chapter 1, verse 2 says, Hear, O peoples, all of you, the first section, first two chapters. Chapter 3, verse 1, again, and I said, Hear now, heads of Jacob. And then chapter 6, verse 1, the final here. So we're in the second section of this, uh, speaking about leadership, the leadership of Israel tonight. There's a great emphasis in Scripture on the leadership of a nation, <clears throat> Israel in particular, but any nation. Um, God speaks of kings and rulers often in the Scripture, and, and lesser, uh, those who are more local leaders, judges, and that kind of thing as well. Often, often spoken of, administrative officials and so on, there's a stress again and again in the scriptures on good and godly leadership, or the necessity for it at least. Proverbs 14:34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach or a disgrace to any people. Right? It says it's a principle for every nation, uh, any nation. It'd be true of that, or that principle. So there's this emphasis on on leadership, political leadership in the scripture, civic leadership, and then there's an emphasis on spiritual leadership as well. Uh, the prophets in particular, uh, in Matthew, in, uh, rather in Micah chapter 3. God sends prophets to testify to Israel of the sins they're committing and to give his message to the people. God opposes the false prophets when they speak a message in the name of the Lord, but in reality it's their own message they've come up with. And so you have these two ideas. And so in Micah chapter 3, <clears throat> these come together. And we see that the rulers in high places and prophets are spoken of in this chapter. And they are the influencers of the nation. That's very important. They're the ones that influence the nation for good or evil. And uh, people listened to them. And people did what they said, whether it was for good or bad. So they were influenced by them. During Micah's time, there was much injustice taking place over and over again. Injustice due to the leadership who influenced the people. In Micah chapter 3, we'll see that God denounces such leadership. He denounces the prophets. He denounces the rulers of the country, the political, civic rulers. He denounces the priests in the country. This is 8th century Israel, 8th century B.C. we're talking about, as we've already mentioned. And so we see this in, in chapter 3. First of all, the rulers of Israel are denounced. That's in verses 1 to 4. Look at verse 1. And I said, Micah said, Hear now, heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? You who hate good and love evil, who tear off their skin from them and their flesh from their bones, who eat the flesh of my people, strip off their skin from them, break their bones and chop them up as, a, as for the pot and as meat in the kettle. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. Instead, he will hide his face from them at that time because they have practiced evil deeds. You can see who this is addressed to in verse 1. It says, it, it, declare, it talks to the heads of Jacob and the rulers of the house of Israel. And as we've said before, ideally talking to the whole nation, but the northern kingdom has been maybe this time obliterated, basically. Uh, and the southern kingdom is primarily in view. Maybe it's not been obliterated. Uh, ideally, he's talking to the whole nation. Primarily, he's talking to the southern kingdom, Judah. As in, 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 in Jerusalem, as he mentions in verse 12, he mentions the city of Jerusalem there. And the heads and rulers here are mainly concerned with judges, who preside over the civic matters of the country, and elders over tribes who preside over, who are more like local judges, making uh, decisions locally. And so these are officials of the government of Israel back in that time. <clears throat> now, we, if you remember our study in, in uh, Romans chapter 13, we learn 
if we didn't learn anything else, we learned that God expects us to be submissive to the governing authorities, right? That's what it says very clearly. He says in Romans 13, every person <clears throat> is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God. Those which exist are established by God. And so government, we're to be submissive to the government. And he says in verse 5 of Romans 13, it's necessary to be in subjection. Verse 6, verse 7, render to all what is due them, taxes to whom taxes due. So we pay our taxes to the government. We're to be in submissive to their, uh, submission to their authority. They are our government. God has established them as such. And so we're to be law-abiding citizens. We talked about that when we went through Romans 13, 1 to 7. The best citizens in the country ought to be believers, without a doubt. However, we know also that in every government in the world, although it's been established by God, whether in history or whether in the present time, that all governments are tainted because sinful men run governments, right? They run the government. So you have sin, you have corruption in governments. Some governments have a greater degree of corruption, some a lesser degree. All governments are corrupt to some degree because men are involved and sin is involved. But those governments that seek to execute justice are, are lining up with God's word. Those that don't care about justice, for example, North Korea, they're not lining up with God's word, right? But we know that all governments are run by imperfect people. Nevertheless, God holds civic government leaders uh, responsible for what they do and how they lead a country. It's very important when you're leading a country. And he holds America. By the way, do we think that America is going get to get away with our practice of abortion? We can't, we can't think that we're going to get away with that. It's an unjust practice, a horrible practice. We're not going to get away with it just because people are inconvenienced by babies or they don't want their babies and they get rid of them. That's going to be, that's held, we're, we're being held accountable by God for that. And the same is true in, in Micah's day of the injustices committed by uh, the people and the leaders in Israel. Again, righteousness exalts a nation, right? But sin is a reproach to any people. Now let's look at the, ad, the attitude of the rulers toward justice, their attitude toward justice in verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> it says, um, is it not, Micah says, you rulers of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? You who hate good and love evil. Notice the emphasis on justice throughout this chapter, by the way. Verse 1, we see it. Look at verse 8. He says, on the other hand, Micah says, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and, and with justice and courage. Verse 9. Hear this, heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who abhor justice. Verse 10. Who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with violent injustice. The Lord says much about uh, justice, not only here, but also throughout his, throughout his word entirely, over and over again, in the Old Testament especially, he talks about justice. It's very important to God that justice be carried out. Uh, Isaiah 10, for example, woe to those who enact evil statutes and those who constantly record unjust decisions. Remind you of the Supreme Court, right? If they make a decision that's unjust, um, they have to answer for that. If they make a decision that's just, that's good. He says that these people that record unjust decisions so as to deprive the needy of justice, and they rob the poor of my people of their rights, so that widows may be their spoil, and that they may plunder the orphans. And so Isaiah 10, one of many examples in the Old Testament of a discussion about justice. Romans 13, uh, in the New Testament, the minister of God, it says, talking about the law enforcement officials there, the minister of God is... He doesn't bear the sword for nothing, it says. He doesn't bear the sword for no reason. Sorry for the double negative. That's what it says there. Because he carries out wrath against those who would practice evil. James chapter 5, 
also says, Come now, ye rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Verse 4, they, The pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. The outcry of those who, who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. And so you have this idea of justice, injustice taking place throughout the scriptures. And we find out that regardless of the time period, Old Testament, New Testament, now, God hates injustice. Over and over again, he's, 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 he's hammering against that idea. And so this scathing question is asked in verse 1 of Micah 3. Micah says this, to the rulers, is it not for you to know justice? I mean, that's, a, that's an indicting question. It, it, it's like asking a carpenter, don't you know anything about hammering nails? It's, it, you think it's a ridiculous question, but he had to ask him because they weren't practicing justice. So he says, is it not for you to know justice? You should know justice. This is your job, right? Uh, that, that's what they should carry out always. The Lord had instructed them to, to carry out justice said it throughout the Old Testament. Deuteronomy, he said this. Listen to this, Deuteronomy 16. He says, God says, You shall appoint for yourself judges and officers in all your town, uh, towns which the Lord your God has given you, according to your tribes. They shall judge the people with what? With righteous judgment. You shall not distort justice. You shall not be partial. You shall not take a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and perverts the words of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall pursue, that you may live and possess the land which the Lord your God has given you. So over and over again, scriptures make it plain, and they were told, Israel was told very plainly, look, here's what you're going to do in, in the government. You're going to have a just system. You're going to practice just, justice. You're not going to be partial in your, in your justice system. You're not going to show regard to those maybe who are wealthy as opposed to the poor. You're going to be faithful and true in, in, in how you act in, in the justice system. You're going to have one pursuit, and that is going to be the pursuit of justice. So their job description is very clear. And they knew what their job description was. They knew what they had to do. They knew, they knew that, that very plainly, but they had turned their backs on God's word. So Micah says, is it not for you to know justice? Don't you guys know what you're supposed to do? This is your job. They should have known that intellectually. They should have studied uh, uh, especially Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They should have known what God said in his word about that. They should have understood it. They should have known how to settle disputes in a righteous manner. They should have had discernment on how to carry out and enact decisions regarding judgment. They should have had sympathy for those who were treated unjustly. Clearly, they could care less about the people treated unjustly throughout this book. There should have been a climate of justice in the land, and yet... Just the opposite was true. There was a climate of injustice. And so Michael, Micah calls these officials out for their lack of justice. He says, look at what he says in, in Micah 3.2. You who hate good and love evil. These are the officials of his day. And what, what is it they do? They hate good and they love evil. Now correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that backwards? That's exactly the opposite of what God said. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And that's what these guys were doing. They were going in just the opposite direction that God had told them to go into. Now, can you see, as we've gone through chapters 1 and 2, can you see why this nation is headed for judgment? Injustice after injustice being practiced by the civic leaders of the country, by the judges, by the rulers, by all who were involved. And so, 
they were under the condemnation of God. You know, when I look at this, I'm reminded of this Casey Anthony trial that took place recently. You know, I didn't really keep up with this trial at all. I saw this woman's face in the news, uh, you know, I'd see her crying on the witness stand, and I thought, I wonder what that's about. And I, for some reason, ignored the whole trial until the very end. And then I started hearing something about it, and then she was, you know, given the not guilty verdict. And I began to hear facts about it, and apparently, in this court case, they didn't determine the death of the baby. I mean, there were some bizarre things. Apparently, in in this case also, this woman, not apparently, she told several lies to investigators. They, uh, I think she waited 31 days before she reported her, her missing child. And it went on and on like that. And, I mean, I look at this trial and I think, my goodness, what's going on here? This whole thing seems to be a, an act of injustice. And yet she's cleared on all charges, or most of the charges there. And I think she gets out of jail this Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and this is the kind of thing that happens often in our country. There are good jurors, there are good judges and so on, but there's these injustices that take place, especially in the, in the uh, criminal system. I think probably uh, Antoine could talk something about that. He was involved in that for a while. Um, you know, we've got, so what do we do in our country? We take the Ten Commandments out of the courthouse, right? The very basis of, of the American system of justice was the Ten Commandments. But we can't have that. We've got to have that removed. And so I kind of think our country may be heading in the same direction as 8th century B.C. Israel was the wrong direction, because he says, woe to those who hate good and love evil. That's what was happening, happening here. Their attitude, the attitude of the rulers toward injustice was to distort, distort, or toward justice was to distort it. And then notice their practice of injustice, not only their attitude, but their practice of injustice in uh, verses 2, the end of verse 2 and verse 3. Um, they, listen to this description here. This is pretty brutal. He says, these rulers... They tear off the skin from them, from the people. They tear their flesh from their bones. They eat the flesh of my people. They strip off their skin from them. They break their bones, chop them up as for the pot, and as meat in the kettle. That is brutal. He's comparing the rulers to cannibals in this section here. He's saying that's how they do. Micah piles claws upon claws to describe how brutal and how bad it was in that day in that time of injustice. It's a repetitive, detailed, highly descriptive uh, way to point out that these people were just brutal in their injustice towards others, depraved in their injustice. And I'm not going to belabor the text. You can see what it's saying in there. But you'll, and you get the idea. But it's a powerful illustration of the, just, of the injustice that was taking place in that day. This idea of, of being brutal and depraved and how they treated people, inhumane. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. We talked about this many times. They rob a man in his house, a man in his inheritance. They had the gall, the leaders that are or wealthy people or powerful people, had the gall to take the inheritance of someone uh, from a man in, in Israel, which was extremely important to him. When we, we covered that when we covered chapter 2. And so they were unjust. And instead of being like shepherds who were to feed the flock and take care of the flock and lead the flock, they were more like wolves who tore into the flock. For what they could get out of them. And in chapter 2, we saw they were greedy. Kind of like animals, just it's a brutal figure here, a description to show how bad things were in that time. Just a bad time of injustice, not just in some matters, but in many matters. It was the order of the day to be unjust. And But there were faithful people always. There's always God's faithful people, but the evildoers were calling the shots at that time. Now, if you, if you, if you think about it, these acts of injustices reveal many things about the leader's of Israel. 
One, it shows their lack of concern for God's people. Look at uh, verse 3. He, he says, they eat the flesh of my people. God calls these victims of injustice my people. That's a term of endearment to describe the covenantal relationship between God and Israel. These are God's special people. And God says to the rulers, you guys are supposed to be ruling my people justly. I told you to do that very clearly. And what are you doing? You're, you're practicing injustice and, and you're, you're extorting the people and, and you're distorting justice and so on. And you don't even care about the relationship I have with my people. You don't even care about that at all. You should care. You're the rulers of these people. And a ruler should care about his people, but they did not at all. And so that shows something about the lack of concern for the people of God. And then these savage rulers ignored the fact that man was made in the image of God, as it says in Genesis 1. God made man in his own image. Male and female, he created them, and so on. And they didn't care about that. You know, if you understand that people are made, all people are made in God's image, it's going to affect how you treat people. Your treatment of others is going to be different. If you think that person was made in God's image, therefore I'm going to treat them like I want to be treated. I'm going to treat them justly and rightly. It will have an effect upon you. It's kind of like, it, remind me, it reminds me of James chapter 3, verse 9. He says, with our tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men. On the other hand, who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. It's like Mike said this morning. We come to church here and we sing the songs of praise and worship God, and then we go out and somebody cuts us off in traffic and we curse them, right? <laughs> that's, that's not considering the fact that other people are made in the image of God. We need to think about that. All men made in the image of God and, and treat them accordingly. And obviously these rulers, these unjust people, they didn't hold that view. They didn't care at all. Thirdly, it shows... It shows that the practice of these rulers is not what God-fearing, trustworthy leaders would do. These men were, to be, were supposed to be God-fearing and trustworthy leaders, but they weren't. Moses said in, in Exodus uh, 18, or there, Moses was told to select men out of all the people, able men who fear God, men of truth, men who hate dishonest gain. Now, they didn't have that view at all. They were totally the opposite of that. And there's a vast difference of character of the standard set of the character of those men that God described the way it was to be in Exodus 18 and the way it was in Micah's time. Vast difference between the standard and the character displayed by the men in Micah's day. Somewhere along the way, they lost their fear of God. They just didn't care, and they did what they wanted to. And their practice of injustice is very clearly, clearly laid out for us in no uncertain terms here in this book of Micah. Notice their rejection by the Lord in verse 4. It says, Then as they... Uh, then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. Instead, he will hide his face from them at that time because they have practiced evil deeds. They will cry out to the Lord then, it says, then, in a future time. And in, in a time of trouble, when they themselves are in trouble, they're going to cry out to the Lord. They're going to pray They're going to pray to the Lord. And that cry is a loud emotional cry caused by extreme distress. There's going to be a day coming when these leaders who are treating the people unjustly, they themselves are going to be in distress. And they're going to cry out to God for help. And they're going to say, Lord, we need your help. Help. They're going to do that. They're going to pray. All of a sudden, they're going to get religion. <laughs> they're going to turn to God, right? You ever know anybody like that? They've rejected Christ for years. They've cursed the name of God. They've blasphemed God. And then one day, they're in a troubled, distressful situation, and they call out to God for help. Not for salvation, 
but for temporary relief from the problem. They call out to God for help. Well, that's what these guys were doing. They came to God. All of a sudden, they're going to come to God for help. They, are they going to get their prayers answered? No way. It says in verse 4, he will not answer them. He's not going to answer them at all. There's going to be no response from God. The Lord is not on speaking terms with these people. They're not on speaking terms with him. There's only going to be silence from God. Not, no answer from him at all. It has nothing to do with them. They've turned their back on him. He's turning their back on, on them now. It says, instead, it says he will hide his face from them, verse 4, at that time. What a horrible situation to be in, that God would turn his face against you, his back on you, and not hear you. And you have no hope at all. And that's what the situation these guys were in. Remember the priestly blessing in Numbers 23, where they were to say, the Lord bless you, Israel, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face shine on you. Remember that? The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and bless you and give you peace. That was the plan for the Lord's face to shine upon the people of Israel. But because they were unjust, now the face of God is being hidden. He says, I'm going to hide my face from you at that time. As if he's going to say, sorry, but Micah says, sorry, but the Lord's unavailable to you guys now. He's hiding his face from you. He's not listening to you. Isaiah 59 says, your sins have hidden God's face from you so that he will not hear. He's not going to hear to those who don't follow him, to those who reject him. This is a very kind, this idea of God's turning his face away from people is a very concrete act of uh, the anger and wrath of God against people. Why is he going to do this? It says in verse 4, because they have practiced evil deeds. So Micah starts off in verse 2 talking about evil. You, you just, you rulers, you love evil when you should hate it. And he ends by saying, you're practicing evil. And so the, he fulfills the prophecy of Proverbs 21. He who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be answered. The poor cry out, you know, we're not being taken care of, we're not being treated justly. They, they, turn, they refuse to hear, they practice injustice. And God says, okay. You're going to cry out one day, and you're not going to be answered as well. And that's exactly what happened here. Well, we've been talking about the rulers of Israel and their injustice and how God denounced them. But what about us? What about on our level? Do we practice justice in, in the way we can in our jobs and in our, in our relationships with other people? Are we practicing justice or in our country even? I mean, we've talked about this barbaric practice of abortion. I think I read... 50 million babies have been aborted since 1973 all the way to th through 2008. So over, over a, well over a million a year, I think, being aborted annually. And nobody cries out about that. Well, what's our attitude towards that, toward, toward those who are mistreated, those who are helpless, those who are defenseless? Are we outraged about this? Do we have, what about our own practice, our own lives and we, in our dealings with others? Are we just in, in, their, in our dealings with people? You know, I just heard just re recently, I know a guy who runs a, vin uh, a vending machine business. And a Christian, supposedly, sold this guy some, some, uh, some business, some of the vending machine business. He sold him part of a business. And he was, and my friend, or the person we know was led to believe that, you know, certain things were true about what he was being sold. He got this business and he came to find out none of those things were true at all. The guy had ripped him off. And this is a, a Christian. This guy knew this guy to be a Christian. This happens all the time, this kind of thing. Unjust practices all, all over and over again. There's a thousand ways to be unjust, by the way, 
in your life. We've got to be careful how we treat people in business and how just we are in our own practical, our own personal lives in a practical way. So the rulers of Israel are denounced. And then secondly, the prophets of Israel are denounced. Look at verses 5 through 8. The prophets of Israel are denounced. It says here, Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray. When they have something to bite with their teeth, they cry peace. But against him who puts nothing in their mouths, they declare holy war. Therefore, therefore it will be night for you without vision and darkness for you without divination. The sun will go down on the prophets, and the day will become dark over them. The seers will be ashamed. The diviners will be embarrassed. Indeed, they will all cover their mouths, because there is no answer from God. One commentator said this about the prophets of Israel back in that day. The clergy had become as corrupt as the judiciary. In other words, the prophets were just were no better off than the, leaders of the, the civic leaders of the country. They're all in this thing together. They're all unjust. And we start off with the phrase here, thus says says the Lord, Micah says. In other words, Micah has a message from God, speaking on his behalf, for the false prophets. He's got a message for them. Now, in chapter 2, we saw that he had a message for the false prophets already. The false prophets believed that God would never judge them, even though they were unjust. It says in chapter 2. And we also found out that a guy could gather a crowd together because he was a popular preacher of that day because of the message that he spoke. What message was it? Look at chapter 2, verse 11. If a guy tells lies and says, I will speak out to you concerning wine and liquor, he would be spokesman to this people. In other words, if, if someone's preaching somewhat of a prosperity gospel back in that day, then he would be the guy that would be popular to hear. We want to go hear that guy. That's the preacher we want, right? And we see that happening today as well. And so this is the kind of thing they were doing. They were influencing the nation in a wrong way, these prophets. Well, what do they do? Well, they, mis- they mislead the people. Look at verse 5. They mislead the people. He says, I'm, I'm talking about the prophets who, mis- who lead my people astray. A mislead means to, to go astray mentally and morally in sins and transgression. They're causing the people, the prophets are causing the people to go astray. It's like the blind leading the blind. And what happens when that happens, right? They both fall into the ditch, Jesus said. And that's what these guys were doing back then. The Lord says, once again, this is my people who are being led astray, his covenant people, whom he loved. Once again, he says, false prophets of Israel, you're you're affecting my people, the people of God, the covenant people of God. That's what false prophets do. They cause people to go astray. True in Old Testament, it's true in the New Testament, it's true today. 2 Peter uh, 1, Peter said, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. And what will these false teachers do? Listen to this. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And there are many people today doing the same thing and introducing destructive heresies that hurt people, harm people. You know, I, I've often wondered, on a given, we know what we hear here on Sunday morning when Mike preaches, right? We hear the word of God. But I've often wondered if we could visit, visit all the so-called evangelical churches in Tampa, and there's a lot of them, we'd probably be absolutely flabbergasted at what we hear and what message was being preached in different pulpits probably many times not really the word of God sometimes many times with a veneer that it is the word of God but people are being led astray by, by what they hear and by what they see and it happens all the time many people that are there's many people that are gullible I've often said to people if I, if I were to say if I were to start a cult and just teach anything 
somebody would follow me probably. It happens all the time because people are basically gullible in many, in many cases. And they'll, if they hear something, they'll, they'll often believe it. Why do you think Jim Jones was able to get a group of people to follow him to Guyana? And, and I think a 1,000 people died there, poisoned by him? Because people are often gullible. They don't know doctrine. And so they're being led astray by false prophets. And so we, that, that's why we who preach and teach the scriptures have to be careful, right? That we don't lead people astray, that we teach exactly what's in the word of God, that we don't follow some hobby horse idea, some trivial idea that we came up with, or, or ride the latest theological wave that comes along, because they're always coming in, right? And, you, and, and something new comes along, and somebody writes a new book on something, and somebody says, oh, let's all read this book right here. And it's leading people astray. It happens all the time. We've got to be careful we don't get involved in that. Just stick with the word of God. You know, I, I, years ago, I heard John MacArthur on the radio say that there was a time in his life, in his ministry, I think it was in the early years, if I'm not mistaken, where for a good while he would preach, and then he would cry and weep over what he had preached because he thought to himself, what if I've misled the people? What if I haven't preached the word of God accurately? What if I haven't said everything I should have said? And it was causing him much inner turmoil. And yet he was preaching the word of God, but he was so worried about it all the time. And he got over that and eventually realized, hey, I am preaching the word of God. I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> and so he got over that point. But the fact is he was concerned about his message. And I think all of us who engage in preaching or who engage in teaching and home Bible studies or women's Bible studies or Sunday school, we need to be careful about what we're saying about the Word of God. Let's make sure we're teaching the actual Word of God, whatever the, the setting is. We don't want to leave people away, people, people astray. And the false teachers led people astray. That's what he says in verse 5. And then look, the, look at the, in verse 5. They are motivated by selfishness. Um, <clears throat> when they have something to bite with their teeth, they cry peace. But against him who puts nothing in their mouth, they declare holy war. You know, prophets were no different from anybody else in that they needed the necessities of life to live. They needed food, right? They needed certain uh, material things to meet their necessities. They needed a certain amount of money to live, a certain income. Even Jesus said the laborer is worthy of his hire, right? And Paul later would say in 1 Corinthians 9 that those who preach the gospel should live by means of the gospel. In other words, you should take care of your pastor, right? Make sure he's taken care of and he's, he's, he's uh, paid and so on and has a salary and so forth. And that's legitimate. That's scriptural. When the prophet Elisha passed through a town called Shunem in 2 Kings chapter 4, a man and his wife put him up and fed him and gave him a place to stay. They wanted to take care of the prophet of God, and they did. So meeting the needs of prophets in the Old Testament or apostles and prophets in the New Testament or pastors in our day and age is legitimate. And it's got God's endorsement in back of it. But these guys... And Micah 3 took it to a new level. That wasn't good enough for them. It kind of reminds me of what happened to the sons of Eli in 1 Samuel 2. The priests were told they could eat a portion of the sacrifices that they, that they sacrificed. That was legitimate. But the sons of Eli took it beyond that. They got a three-pronged three fork, and they jabbed it into the meat and got out as much as they could, as big chunks as, they, as possible as they could to eat it. And, and, and they, were, they were called out for that among other things they did, just, you know, greedy and, and gluttons and so on. And so that was a totally selfish act. And that's exactly what's happening here. Their message here is based upon the gifts they receive. 
In other words, the, the message, their message of the false prophets here was determined, about, determined by the money they received from people or gifts they received from people or food they received from people. It says here, when they have something to bite with their teeth, they cry peace. In other words, if you gave the false prophets enough food or they were happy with the amount of food you gave them to, you know, so they could subsist and live, or if they got enough gifts and they were happy with the gifts you gave them, they would prophesy to you, my brother, I may the peace of God be upon you. And by the way, you all know the word peace here is shalom, okay? You all have heard that word. That word means peace or wholeness or safety or wellness, those kind of ideas. And so they would receive the gifts, a nice gift from someone, and they would say something like, God is going to bless you. God is going to prosper you. Why? Because you gave me a nice gift. It's, it's based on what they received. When I was a kid, there was a guy named Oral Roberts that used to preach on TV every week. And I'd, that show would come on, and at the end of the show, he would say, to this day I remember what he said, because I heard it every week. He, he would say, and remember, something good is going to happen to you. He'd say that every week. Some of you guys hear this too? Yeah. <laughs> and I never forgot him saying that. Well, maybe something bad was going to happen to somebody. But he said something good is going to happen to you. And that's what these guys were saying. Look, you give me enough gifts that make me happy, then you get a message of, of prosperity in return. And that's what they wanted. However, on the other side, it says, but against him who puts nothing in their mouths, they declare holy war. Right? Jihad. <laughs> this is not the word jihad, by the way. <laughs> It is literally, they consecrate war against that individual. It's almost a spiritual thing, like, look, you didn't give me anything. You didn't take care of my needs. Guess what? God's going to get you. God's not going to bless you. God's going to curse you. I declare upon you the curses of God because they didn't receive anything from these guys at all. No material gifts, no, no, uh, no money, nothing like that. And so they pro proclaim the vengeance of God upon such individuals. So their priority, as you can see, was their own appetites. That was their motivation for prophesying. What do you, what's in it for me? What are you going to give me? And, and we see that today, a lot of people wanting money. Send me money all the time. That was their big message. That's their big message on TV a lot of times. Somebody said this. I like this, this quote. What came out of the mouths of, these, of those prophets depended on what was put into it. What came out of their mouths depended on what was put into it. These prophets were literally making a profit, weren't they? Not whatever, not what profited the people, but whatever profited them. That, that, was their, that was their motivation. It was selfish. Philippians 3.9 says, one of the marks of the enemies of, of the cross of Christ, is, it says their God is their belly. Their God is their belly. Their God is their appetite. And the same was true of these false prophets in the time of Micah. And that's why and that was their motivation. And notice in verses 6 to 7, their doom is sure. God says, therefore, because you act like this, because you're motivated by the wrong thing, because you're not even preaching my word, because this whole thing is out of whack, he says, therefore, and that's uh, uh, going to show us the results, the consequences, therefore, it will be night for you without vision, darkness for you without divination. The sun will go down on the prophets. The day will become dark over them. Great title in there for if anybody wants to preach a one-line message, sun's going to go down on the prophets, that kind of thing. I've heard messages like that a lot. So, Most commentators believe these men had a prophetic gift. Even the false prophets had a prophetic gift, like, kind of like Balaam, to prophesy whatever he was. And God says, no, you've abused the gift, and guess what? I'm going to pull the shades on you guys now. 
The sun's got to go down on you guys. Your ministry is going to end. He says it's going to, you're going to be without vision, without divination. In other words, spiritual illumination is going to cease from you. You're not going to even be able to do your job anymore. The sun's going to set on your ministry, in other words. And then in verse 7, the seers will be ashamed. The diviners will be embarrassed. Indeed, they will cover their mouths because there is no answer from God. The seers or diviners are just other words to describe the prophets. They're going to be ashamed. <clears throat> the loss of the prophetic office would be, a sh- would be shameful to them. It'd be shameful for a guy who was a, considered to be a prophet. Losing that office, that's a disgrace. It says he's going to be embarrassed, or same word for disgraced. Both of those verbs speak of public disgrace in front of people, by the way. Publicly disgraced because they're no longer a prophet. Known as a prophet before, now that ministry taken away. They've blown it with all their false heresy and teaching and prosperity gospel preaching and so on. Publicly disgraced now. In fact, he says they're going to cover their mouths. That word mouths is mustache. Mustache, literally. They're going to cover their mustache. There's a biblical injunction for all you men out there with mustaches. Shave them, okay? No, I didn't say that. They're going to cover their mustache. Normally, when people cover their mustache, mustache, it was a sign of mourning or it was a sign that they were a leper. And they would cover their bottom lip and they'd say, unclean, unclean, don't come near me. That was normally what it was. But here, the reason is because, in verse 7, what's the reason at the, the last line? There's no answer from God. Or that's what's going to happen to them. They're going to cover their mouths because there is no answer from God. They're going to be judged by God. The same thing happened in verse 4. He will not answer them. Same thing. God's done with them. They're only going to get silence from him. There's going to be no word from him to them. They paid no attention to God. So why should God now pay attention to them? They're done for. They're going to, have, they're going to be judged by God. So all these guys that are going around in our country today and the world preaching false messages, false gospel, false teaching. They're not getting away with this stuff. God, God knows what they're doing. They're going to be judged by God. Sad to say, they're going to be judged by God. Well, we're, we're going to pick up um, the rest of this chapter next, or next time we, we uh, speak up here, but let's just close with this idea. Leaders, both political and spiritual, carry a great deal of influence. Civic leaders... Political leaders carry tremendous influence. Think of all the, as we said earlier, think of the decisions our Supreme Court has made over the years that affect us to this day. In 1972, they made the decision, I've mentioned it a few times already, to, that it was okay to, commit, to have abortions. That decision has now resulted in over 50 million unborn babies uh, being aborted, right, being murdered. Brutally murdered, by the way. It's a brutal process, the way they go about it. So the decisions made by our leaders have tremendous, profound uh, uh, compli- consequences uh, for years to come. That's why it's, it's important to, to elect leaders who are, as much as possible, lining up with the principles of God's word, although I know that's very difficult. And then the spiritual leaders of our country affect the spiritual climate of our country by what they say and how they preach and how they teach and so on. So those, of, uh, those people who are in positions of spiritual leadership need to remember that, that you are influential. And those who are teaching uh, people, by the way, everybody in here is going to influence somebody. And those of you who are single, you're going to influence your children one day. Think about that. Think about the future. You're going to influence your children. You're going to influence other people. Right now you're going to influence someone at your job or wherever. 
It's very important that your influence be a godly one, right? That you realize the responsibility you have towards influencing people the right way. We're going to influence people towards God or away from God, one of the two. Toward his word or away from his word. So let that responsibility weigh upon you and be, kind, be careful about the kind of influence you are to people. Well, next, next time we come, and I think two weeks, the next two weeks, somebody else is speaking here on Sunday night, but after that, we'll pick, up, pick it up again and we'll finish chapter 3. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this time together and for your word. We just pray that we take it seriously. We pray we would be the kind of people that would influence people for godliness, that our lives would be godly and marked by godliness, that our words would be such that we would encourage people in the things of God, that we would accurately handle your word, that we would uh, pursue justice, and that we would uh, pursue uh, spiritual growth uh, among our people, that we would, we would love people and we would, work, we would seek to uh, influence them in the right way. We just pray we would do this uh, in the grace of God and in the power of God. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.